Good morning, Coastal. How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us today. You guys braving the, the weather out there. Anybody enjoying this weather? Anybody enjoying it? Nobody? Like three people are. Yeah, we're, like, let's stop it. It's terrible. Tired of rain, ready for it to not be raining. Not only that, but it's, it's pushing us back on progress on our building. So, I mean, you guys better be praying against that rain in Jesus' name. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're glad that you're here. Man, we're excited about today. I believe God's going to do some things in some people's lives. We've been in this series called Plan B over the last couple weeks, and uh, we've been talking about the fact that a lot of us, we have a plan A for our lives. We have some goals. We have some dreams. We have some aspirations. And somewhere along the way, those things kind of take a side turn, and we end up living out kind of a plan B in life that we never intended, we never wanted, we never dreamed of in our life. And we've been looking at this pattern that I think is pretty familiar to most of us, and it's, uh, it goes like this. We all have this dream in our heart, whether it's a dream in our relationships, whether it's a dream in our finances, whether it's a, a career dream that we have, and we're longing for it, we're hoping for it, and, and what happens is, is that some things start to align towards that. You know, we start to see some, some things kind of fall into place that makes us feel like and look like, and, 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 and we can see in the distance this dream that is just a dream, maybe, just maybe, is going to come to fruition. And, and hope starts to build in our life, and we start looking for it, and we start longing for it. But eventually, for all of us, there's always some sort of threat that happens to our dream. And something comes along that throws us off of our dream, that makes it feel like that that is never going to take place. And when we get to that moment, we have one of two choices traditionally that we take. One of those choices is we can choose to trust God. The other choice is that we can choose to take control and try to manipulate the, si the situation to make our dream happen in life the way that we think it should happen. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of different people and their response to their dreams, the first week we looked at David, and he had a dream of being king, and eventually his dream got threatened. And when he had the choice of whether he was going to try to control the situation or trust God, he chose to take control. And the reason we choose to take control is because a lot of times we think that God must think and feel the same way we do. And when we see that and, and God isn't reacting how we think and feel God should react, then we try to control and manipulate the situation. And the big idea that first week that I was trying to convey to us is don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams. Because what happens for a lot of us is we have this dream and we start abandoning our values in the process of trying to make that dream happen. And as we compromise our values, we end up living this compromised life and God doesn't want that for us. Then last week we looked at the life of Joseph and Joseph went through a lot of shattered dreams and unmet expectations like a lot of us do. And in the middle of all that, of choosing to trust or control, he chose to trust. And we kind of dove into this, this question that I think is really, really critical for us in our lives. And that is this, is how would you respond if you were completely confident that God was with you? How would you respond to your situation? How would you respond to your tragedy? How would you respond to your unmet expectation if you were completely confident that God was with you in that situation? Because I believe that God is and he's trying to do something inside of you. And so what I've wanted us to see in this series is that there is this undeniable relationship between crisis in our lives and the hope that God brings. 
Because for all of us, all of us are going to experience some crisis in life. And a lot of times we feel like in our crisis, it's hopeless. But God is trying to establish hope in the middle of it. In between the waiting, hopefully what will happen is in that waiting period, some spiritual transformation will take place in our lives. In fact, there's a great verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you think about that scripture, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because when life is not turning out how you thought it was going to turn out, when, when you don't know how you're going to pay for lunch today, when, when things are falling apart, it's in those moments that we get on our face and seek God the most, isn't it? Because let's be honest, when things are going like awesome in life and our marriage is perfect and our kids are obedient at the first sign of us asking them to do something and we have more money than we have month and 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 you know we're sitting at dinner and we're eating fillets and lobster and just enjoying the moment in that moment none of us are thinking to ourselves oh my gosh god i'm so overwhelmed by you in this moment no because that's what we expect in our life from god isn't it Let's be honest. We expect to have that kind of life. Well, I'm following Jesus. That's what I should have. But you throw some heartbreak, you throw some tragedy in there, and all of a sudden we're quick to run in those moments in a hurry. And so today we're going to be looking in John chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at a story that, that, that I've, I've, I've preached on before. But there isn't a better story in Scripture that illustrates this principle of, of waiting. And, and I really want to talk to you today about waiting. And so this story that's told in John chapter 11, um, it takes place in the town of Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters are living. And these are people that Jesus and his disciples are well acquainted with. I mean, these are some of his best friends. It is very obvious throughout Scripture that these were people that were very, very close to Jesus, that he had a great affinity for in life. But in this moment, Jesus is far away. In fact, he's across the Jordan River. He's been running from the religious people that are trying to kill him at the moment. He's actually getting away from everybody out there. And uh, while he's away across the Jordan River, he gets some bad news, and we're going to pick it up in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now a, na- a man named Lazarus was sick, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, this seems weird to me because not only does Jesus um, not go right away to his friend, he actually stays where he is two more days. I mean, and, and you go like, why in the world would God, you know, he hears that his friend is sick. Why would he stay where he is for two more days? And the Bible actually says that there was a purpose in him staying there. And the purpose of him staying there was that this situation would glorify God. They would glorify God so that people would see Jesus for who he was. Now, what's interesting to me is that what that tells me is that your shattered dream and your unmet expectation, as terrible as it may be, the reason you may be going through what you're going through is so that God gets glory in your situation. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe 
somehow, some form, some fashion, some way, that God wants to be glorified through the tragedies that are happening and the unmet expectations that are happening in your life. Because think about this. Plan A for Mary and Martha was that Jesus was going to come right away, right? Like in their minds, they're thinking, well, we're going to let Jesus know He's boys with Lazarus. I mean, this is like one of his best friends. Of course, he's going to hear that Jesus or that Lazarus is sick and he's going to come immediately and he's going to heal Lazarus. That's what they were thinking. That's what's going to happen. In fact, they're looking at their watch being like, hey man, Jesus is going to be here any moment. But here's what we know. Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't show up how they thought he was going to show up. And I've just learned that we love the idea of following Jesus until it disrupts our plans and dreams. Don't we? I mean, I love following Jesus as long as Jesus is doing what I want him to do for my life. Man, it's quiet in here. Come on, you felt the frustration, haven't you? I mean, let's be honest. You've been, God, I need you to help me. God, I promise I'll start reading my Bible if you show up right now. God, if you heal my marriage, I'll even tithe. Jesus, just show up. And nothing. It's like crickets from heaven. We saw the same situation with Joseph last week, stuck in prison. Nothing changes. Nothing gets better. And if God is doing something, we sure as heck can't tell, can we? It's like that person that comes to your connect group that always brings the same prayer request every week. It's like, Johnny's going to show up and he's going to pray that he gets a new job this week. And before he even gets there, we already have your prayer request written down. But yet Johnny keeps praying and it's like, nothing's happening. Nothing's coming through. And honestly for us, Waiting is not a popular pastime in our culture. Our culture hates waiting. We live in a day of fast and instant and right here, right now. We believe that faster is always better, that quicker is our favorite thing. We're seduced by quickness. Like, I, I personally, I hate waiting. Like, when I go grocery shopping, which God bless me, I hope I never have to do ever again. But when I go grocery shopping, like, I, I'm that weird guy that I'm looking for the quickest possible way out of that store. Anybody, any other male with me right there? I mean, it's like, I am counting the items going in my basket because I want to know if I have 10 or less so I can get in the line with 10 or less. And then when I get in the line with 10 or less, I'm counting everybody else's items in their basket to make sure they don't have, they don't have more than 10. It's like somebody has 11 in it, and I'm like, get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. I don't care if you're behind me as long as I'm in front of you with you having more items. But I'm like, I'd like, and, and I always end up with like 13 items, so I can't get in that line. And so I'm going and I'm assessing the lines at Publix. And hey, can we be honest? Like, why does Publix have like 30 lines and two open? Are they just teasing us? Are they just trying to give us false sense of hope in life? I mean, what is the deal? Hire some people. Do something. And so, man, I, I, I walk up because I'm just weird. I walk up and I start counting how many people are in line. What, what, what do they look like? Are they younger or are they older? Do they look like they're going to be paying with cash or credit card? Do they have coupons or no coupons? You don't want to get behind somebody with coupons to Jesus. 
Like, that'll mess you up. That'll take you like three hours. They're like, oh, I've got one more for that. Ten cents off that can of beans that cost three cents. Okay. Like, it doesn't just pay the ten cents. And so, like, I mean, I'm, I'm analyzing all that to assess what line I'm going to get in, which one's going to be faster. Because I'm in a hurry. I don't want to wait on anything. I got things to do, like sit at home or in line in traffic. And so I'll count and, and I'll choose a line and then I'll watch the other lines. Because <laughs> I want to know the person that would have been in my place in that line, will they beat me out of there? Am I speaking anybody's language right now? Am I the, I like, okay, it's, it's our church. And I always turn at the end, I'm like, babe, we won. And she's like, what did we win? It's like, just trust me, we won because we got out first. And so I'm in a hurry. I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting at the post office. I don't like waiting at the bank. I don't like waiting in traffic. But you know what? I know what I hate waiting the most for. So I hate waiting for God. Because I'm in a hurry and God isn't. Why do we hate waiting so much? I think the biggest reason we hate waiting is because it makes us feel powerless. Lewis Smeads described it like this. He said, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait for a fear, we wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels a lot like a not ever. Listen, Mary and Martha, they're not the first people in the Bible to wait on God to act. The Bible is full of people that waited on God for days and weeks and months and years. Abraham and Sarah waited for decades for children. Joseph, who we talked about last week, waited for a long time in prison. Noah waited 150 days for the floods to subside. The children of Israel in the desert waited 40 years to go into the promised land. Jacob waited and worked for his wife, Rachel, for 14 years. And here's something maybe you've never thought about in your life, but even Jesus had a time of waiting. In fact, there's a central line in Jesus' arrest that most of us just read over but I, I think it is really critical. It says, it says, Jesus was handed over. Judas actually handed Jesus over to the religious authorities. And so it was in that period of time that that's not the only time that that phrase was used. It's actually used in Romans 8, 32. And, and it says, God did not spare Jesus, but handed him over for your benefit and for mine. And so there is this, this, this portion of, of Jesus' life where he is handed over that is central to the gospel message, where he's in a period of waiting. Because if you think about Jesus, the front half of his life, he's spent acting. He's out there healing people. He's out there giving the blind sight. He's out there uh, 
giving forgiveness to those who need to be forgiven. He's out there doing activity continuously. Then he is handed over, and instead of him being the one that is doing things, now things are being done to him. And then while the things that are being done to him, he's in this period of waiting, and it's in that period of waiting that his greatest purpose is lived out. It's in the period of waiting that he ends up going to the cross and dying in order to rise again. Which means that a lot of times in our waiting is our deepest and truest purpose in life. Just like in this story, there is a purpose in Mary and Martha's waiting. It says in verse 7, it says, Then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you. And we're not talking recreationally, we're trying talking killing. And yet you're going back there, Jesus answered. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's like, wait a second, hold up, Jesus, time out. Like, sometimes we just read over scripture, and we just disregard it. Did Jesus just say he was glad that he wasn't there so his friend would die? Yes, he did. Anybody else think that that's messed up, or is that just me? Like, we, like, these aren't stories. This is reality. Like, that seems messed up. Like, why in the world would Jesus want something like that to happen? And then he goes on to tell you why he would allow something jacked up to happen. He says, so that you may believe. So that the disciples and ourselves would have faith in him and might be strengthened and might put more hope in God. And maybe our hope would be renewed. That was the purpose, or at least a part of it, in all of that waiting that Jesus was doing. Now, am I saying that God sends trials and tribulations and difficulties in your life so that you will give your hope to God? No, no, no. I'm not saying that God sends those things those way, but I am saying that God will allow some suffering, that God will allow some pain, that God will allow some crisis in order to detach hope from other things and attach hope to himself. See, because a lot of us, what's happened is, is we have attached our hope to things and God is trying to get us to detach our hope from things and attach it to him. And the only way we'll detach it from those things is if those things in our lives sometimes get crushed, destroyed, become painful in life. And he's trying to get us to trust him and allow him to work in our situation. And a lot of us, we've got to stop looking at our shattered dreams and unmet expectations as if God is doing something to you. Because here's the deal. God is not doing something to you. God is trying to do something in you. He's not doing something to you. He's trying to do something in you. He might possibly even do something through you if you allow him to do the work in you. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's continue on in verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, 
And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said, man, if you had been here, and maybe you've said something just like that to God, man, if you had been here, this would not have taken place. If you had shown up in the way that you were supposed to show up, this would not have happened in my life. My marriage would not be apart. You could have shown up and you didn't. God, you could have shown up and, and taken care of my bills, but you didn't, and now I'm facing a financial crisis. God, you could have gotten me pregnant, but you didn't. What's up with that, God? I wanted a family. God, you could have done something, but you didn't. Notice in this passage that Martha isn't questioning Jesus' power. She's questioning his timing. She's questioning when he showed up. And honestly, she's ticked because he didn't show up when she thought he should have shown up and how he should have shown up. And I think that's worth noting because I think that that's our problem too. The question isn't, can you trust God? Because of course you can trust God. The question is, can you wait? The question is, will you wait? Will you continue to put your hope in him even when God's timing seems off to you. See, because our hope does not come only from believing in God's power, but also from accepting and trusting His timing. And it's hard for us to do that. It's just a difficult, difficult thing because we want His power we want his comfort, but what we often don't want is his calendar. We want him to show up when we want him and how we want him. And I don't know if you've realized this or not, but God is way more concerned about your character than your comfort. And here's the thing about spiritual transformation, which is our hope for every single one of you, that you would be transformed from the inside out. Spiritual transformation never takes place when you get everything you want. Spiritual transformation takes place while we're waiting for what we want. It's forged in the moments where we're developing hope. It's forged in the moments where we're trusting. It's formed in the moments where we're longing and we have yet to receive what we want from God. Let's pick it back up in verse 22. Martha says, But I know that even now, God, you will give whatever you, you ask. She goes, even though you haven't acted in the way I expected you to, even though you didn't show up in the way I thought you were going to show up, this is what I realized, that you're God and I'm not. That you have a plan, and it's not my plan. You have a way, and it's not my way. And you're God, and I'm not. And so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe that you're still in control of this situation. We jump down to verse 43. It says, when... He had said this. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. This is a powerful story about us not giving up hope in the moment. Because we specialize in a God who is a God of resurrections, who specializes in hopeless situations. And I know this firsthand uh, because my life is, it feels like this story. Today, May 20th in 2000, I had the opportunity to marry this. Okay, everybody, just, just go ahead and one, two, three, everybody just give their all. Oh, okay, there, we got it out. It's so bright in here, dude, isn't it? <laughs> May 20th of 2000. Shayla and I got married. This is our 18-year anniversary today. So, uh, I'm telling you what, 18 years has felt like 18 minutes with this girl underwater. But it's all right now. <laughs> it's been an incredible, incredible 18 years. <laughs> oh, you got to pay attention to me now. Okay, I, I know... I know we brought out a baby, and so everything goes to a baby, but here's the deal. We got married. First five years of our life, man, we just lived. After about two years of marriage, we said, hey, when God wants us to have children, he'll just make it happen. We stopped doing anything to negate children happening. You can figure that out. Uh, and we started, hey, when God, wants, when God wants this to happen, it'll happen. What about year five? We realized, well, that's kind of weird that this hasn't happened. Let's, let's really get proactive and do the things that you're supposed to do to have children. And that's, those are the moments that romance gets taken out of a relationship. And for the next two years, man, we tried like crazy to have kids. And we finally got to this point, man, there's got to be something wrong with this situation. And started going to doctors and doing different things and in December of 2007 after being through specialist after specialist after specialist we finally had this doctor tell us that uh, there's no way in the world we would ever have children it's physically impossible like my body wasn't producing some things that it needed to produce in order for us to be able to have kids and so it was going to be an impossibility and and it was a heartbreaking moment. You want to talk about shattered dream. You want to talk about unmet expectation. We had built our life around the fact that we're going to have two kids. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be a girl. We already had rooms decorated. We had it all figured out. We had our plan. And we are heartbroken and we are, we are, we are asking the normal question of why, but we also realize that we serve a God who does miracles. And we serve a God who healed back in the day and we believe still heals today. We serve a God that can do the impossible and so we stood on God's word and we said, God, we know that you're gonna do this. We trust you in this and we stood on his word and 
for 11 years, we stood on that going, God, I don't know how you're going to do this to me. God, do this. Heal my body. God, I want you to do this to me. you got to do this to me. Some of you can relate because you've been going, God, I need you to do this to me. But God didn't want to do something to me. God wanted to do something in me. And so last year when we were in the middle of our James series, Shayla one morning comes out and goes, man, I've, I've been really, really convicted about this passage in James where it says, true religion is caring for the widows and the orphans. And we looked at foster care before and we just felt like, man, we're, we're believing God for this promise. And it's in those moments that God started doing something inside of our heart, realizing that as we started doing the research that last year there was over 1,300 children removed from their homes and put in foster care in Broward County. 436 of those children were under the age of one. That there is a modern day orphan crisis right here around us. And I was so busy saying, God, give me, do something to me that I could not see what God was trying to do in me. And it was in that waiting that God started changing me from the inside out and changing Shayla from the inside out. And, and as we started going, okay, God, uh, go ahead and do the work in me. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to trust in you that just a couple of months ago, in fact, two months ago, we got a phone call right before our connect group that there's a little baby, four days old, coming out of the hospital named Alexander. There was a need of a foster family. And would we foster him? Would we care for him? Would we love him? And, and so here is, is my boy, Alexander. You can tell we're, we're, we're son and foster dad. We both have camo. And I'm going to foster him for one day, one year, the rest of his life, whatever he needs. And here's what I know. And I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here because I was with the president of four kids this past week. and He said last month there were 38 kids that they couldn't place in a foster family because there was no homes available. He said this month I expect the same thing. He said, TJ, we're in need of 70 more homes this year. He said, without you even knowing it, your church right now is one of the leading churches in foster care. And I said, well, who's the leading church? And he gave me the name. And I was like, we can beat them. <laughs> Sorry, it was my competitive nature. <laughs> but here's what I know. There's some loving homes that are out there. There's some availability that some of you have not always for the rest of your life, but it might be for a season that you could be hope to somebody's shattered dream. A lot of kids are going through some shattered dreams right now. A lot of kids that are experiencing unmet expectations that they neither deserve nor ask for. Didn't really even get a chance for. We could be Jesus to them in this season. 
And so if you're interested in finding some more information about that, we have some information on the, the, our, our info table. I, I didn't, didn't really come here to pitch that, but I, this is what I do know. Is that some of you, your life isn't turning out for you the way you hoped it would turn out. For some of you, you're sitting in a season where you're waiting and you're longing and you're hurting and you feel alone. And God in this season wants you to find hope in him. And if you're in the midst of waiting for a miracle or waiting for your dream to be realized, I know what that feeling feels like. You probably feel pretty helpless. And you feel like you're doing nothing. But you're not doing nothing at all. You're actually doing something that is critical. Because waiting may be the most important thing you can and need to do in this situation. And what you're doing in the waiting is you're allowing your hope to grow. You're allowing your trust to be cultivated. And you're allowing God not to do something to you. But hopefully you're opening yourself up for him to do something in you. To create in you the person he wanted from the very beginning. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to read this verse to you and I want you to Allow it to sink in. And I think it's very pertinent. In Psalm 62, 5, it says, I find rest in God. Only He gives me hope. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defender. I will not be defeated. And as I was reading that this week, I kept thinking of this picture in my mind. Being frustrated, being angry, being tired, being stressed, and confused and exhausted from trying to make my dream happen. And getting to this point where we just finally just kind of collapse into God's arms. And go, God, I surrender it to you. And it's in that moment of surrender when we fall into his arms that we find the things that we've always needed. We find that rest. We discover hope. Our God starts defending. And we don't continue to walk around defeated, but inspired for another day. God, I just pray for every person here. I know that a lot of people have gone through some unmet expectations and some shattered dreams. And their plan A was a great plan. But it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened the way they thought it was going to happen. And it seems like nothing is happening right now. That feels like you've abandoned them. But actually, this is a season of waiting and We've been so busy focusing on, God, what I want you to do to me that for a lot of us, we've missed out on what God is trying to do in me. And God, I pray right now that you touch people's hearts.
that they get their eyes focused off of their circumstances and fixed on you. And then as they do, God, that you would transform us from the inside out. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would run rampant through their bodies from the tops of their heads to the bottom of their feet, knowing that in this season, God, in this time, that they can trust you. God, that in the middle of their waiting, just on the other side, is the blessing that they've always been waiting for. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.